Welcome to Do The Woo, episode 67. How are you, Bob? Hey, I'm doing good. And how are you, Jonathan? I'm well. I'm enjoying that. Uh, we've had a nice bout of sunshine over here in Washington State, which I've quite enjoyed. Uh, it's uh, I'm doing doing quite well. How's the weather been for you? You know, it's been... It's been nice. It's it stays right around in the 60s for me. It's foggy sometimes in the morning, then clears up, nice and sunny. What's the what's the temperatures like there? Mm, we had a uh, hundred plus for a while there, uh, Fahrenheit, uh, a couple of weeks back. But I think now we're in like 70s and 80s, and but it's pretty cool. So it's it's the nice thing though. It's dry. So even when it gets hotter like that, the you know. It's it's not it's not terrible, and once the sun comes goes down, then it cools off nicely. Yep, yeah, no humidity. That's good. No humidity. Uh, so, got a good, great guest today. I'm excited about that. But first, I think we want to talk about uh, our sponsors. Yeah, uh, don't want to forget our great sponsors. We have uh, Recapture.io. It's a abandoned cart and email marketing solution. They've been a sponsor for a while, and yeah, they have some awesome stuff. You got to. Uh, listen to for the link later in the show because you'll get a 60-day uh, free trial if you use the right do the woo code. So you'll want to watch for that and Sizzle, which is also offering a 30-day free trial. Uh, they're a well, let's say pay now or buy now, pay later. Uh, if you want your customers to have a sleek way to able to stretch it out a little bit. They don't have no interest. It's really a, a cool, uh, before this, uh, before they became a sponsor, I wasn't even aware of them. Yeah, we had Killian. Uh, that was a great, uh, a couple episodes back. If you guys didn't hear that, that's a great episode. And I really like what they're doing as an organization. So yeah, it's, uh, it was great to, great to see the opportunity there. Yeah, so good stuff. So Sezzle.com, and that's S-E-Z-Z-L-E.com. And then, of course, we have WooCommerce.com, where Woo. everything is Woo. I mean, you, you got to go over there. And I, I, I know I've noticed that a lot more, you know, there's a lot of, especially for if, if you're builders out there and you're thinking, you know, your customers or, you know, people that really need to know, get more into those other solutions as far as, what you're going to do and how you can make your store grow, just not the technical part. Uh, they're blog shooting out some pretty good posts. So you may want to start, you know, go over there and subscribe to their blog and watch stuff. And there's, there's all sorts of stuff. And Jonathan, you know, he's, he's leading away on a lot of that stuff for the merchants. So um, um, good stuff. And I know there's good stuff down the road. I'm biased, but uh, I think it's pretty great. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff coming out on the blog, a lot of good stuff happening in the community spaces. Cool. Well, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Because I'm excited. I've never met Matt before, but um, from what I hear, he's a pretty cool guy. He has a great accent and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So there's quite a few Matts in this space, apparently. So Matt, uh, welcome. Matt, Matt, uh, you know, I've always said Jerry, but is it technically Gary? No, it's Jerry. You've got it right. Okay. It is Jerry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Matt, Matt, Jerry, welcome to the podcast. So I'm going to ask you, we're going to talk a little bit about your, your background and history in just a moment, but the first question, mm-hmm. the, 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 the heart, the big question is how do you do the woo? I do the woo in multiple different ways <laughs> in that I have um, a bunch of different WooCommerce stalls that I run with my wife and I also sell uh, premium plugins in the WooCommerce space. 
So that's how I do the woo. Nice. So you've been in the world of WordPress for a long time and spoiler for anyone who doesn't know, like you and I have known each other for a long time. We've been causing WordPress trouble since the early days. <laughs> and so, and your background's development, you've uh, been building with WordPress since, since way back when, and before that, like doing custom PHP stuff, et cetera. Uh, but you've also been in the world of e-commerce for a long time. You were in a payment startup uh, where you guys did all sorts of things. Could you just touch on that briefly? Like, what did you sort of do? What's been your your history in the world of, of e-commerce? Yeah, sure. So, um, like you say, I've been in the WordPress world. I think it goes back to 2005, which is a good 15 years. Um, and we know each other since 2004. So, um, yeah, in terms of... Uh, the payment space and the, the work that I did, it wasn't really a startup, it was quite an established company. That's no, true. Yeah. Yeah. They did um, both. They were both an issuer and acquirer of uh, transactions. So they issued cards, uh, actual physical uh, kind of prepaid and credit cards. And then we also processed the transactions on the back end. So my experience with that um, specifically relates to um, building out a transactional processing system where a transaction would kind of come through the wires um, from e-commerce all the way to the back end. Yeah. And we would obviously process it and keep track of funds on the cards and deduct funds as transactions came in and, you know, obviously load funds as well as trans as money was loaded onto those cards. So you've also had, so there's that experience. You've also had quite a bit of experience just in the plugin development space. Mm -hmm. If I'm remembering correctly, like you've been building plugins for a long time, but for you had a particularly big hit back in the day that was focused on the mobile space, right? Tell, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, back in 2010, we created, myself and a partner, created a plugin called Mobile Press, which yeah, this was kind of pre-responsive websites. And um, essentially what it did was when you visited a WordPress website from a mobile um, phone, um, it would render a dumbed-down version of that website um, specifically optimized for mobile. Like I say, you know, during, now that we have responsive design, that's no longer really necessary unless you're kind of optimizing for slower connections. You might want to still do that. Um, but that plugin, yeah, reached, I think, you know, 200,000 um, users. And on the back end of that, we built a startup uh, around a mobile advertising platform. So, yeah, it was definitely very successful and an interesting time of my life, um, but learned a lot and yeah, happy, happy for that experience in terms of building a plugin that got that big. You know, you learn a lot in terms of maintaining plugins and doing support and all that good stuff that comes with um, kind of building and uh, releasing plugins. You've also had, so to kind of round out the experience so far, so been in WordPress consistently to various degrees, like, and that's just one of the plugins. You've worked on quite a few others. You've also had a fair amount of experience in the service business. Mm -hmm. um, you've been working at an agency for the past couple of years. We'll just touch briefly on kind of the scope of, of what your experience has been there. Yeah, so two different things um, in that I, in the early days, um, I think around 2007, 2008, I ran my own small agency called WP Geeks, and this was, I believe, yep. WooCommerce. <laughs> uh, and what we were doing back then was um, doing WordPress integrations for our, our clients in that um, WordPress in the early days was seen more as just of a blogging platform and not a CMS, a whole fully uh, fledged CMS. Yep. And uh, a lot of our um, people back then were building kind of static HTML 
uh, CSS type websites, but they wanted to integrate those with WordPress. So they wanted the look and feel of the website and the blog to be exactly the same. So I was taking these static websites and um, converting those uh, static pages into a WordPress theme, uh, specifically just for the blog portion. So it felt like a seamless website, both you know the website and the blog. Um, and I ran that agency for a while and WordPress Geeks is something uh, different now and that we will probably touch on it. It's where I sell a bunch of uh, WooCommerce premium plugins. Yep, but started out as a service, yeah. It started out as a service, yeah. And then, um, you know, my other thing that I'm uh, very much involved in these days is I'm a WordPress uh, architect for XWP, which is kind of an enterprise-grade WordPress agency where we do large uh, WordPress and WooCommerce projects, um, generally for uh, big clients, media clients, uh, media companies, and uh, other big tech companies as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So one of the reasons I like was one of the things I'm interested in is like you with the experience that you've had with plugin development, I think there's a lot of opportunity and I feel like we're still just scratching the surface. Absolutely. For like new plugins in, in work WordPress, WooCommerce specifically for integrations, et cetera. So I think one of the things I think was in, is interesting to just talk about is the, the opportunity there and to draw into your experience a little bit and then some of the lessons learned. So I think what I'm curious to hear first is like when you look at WooCommerce as a whole and take your background in building plugins and your experience in different industries sort of touching e-commerce, what's your sense of the opportunity? Yeah. Is there, you see a little bit, is there a lot? Like how do you think about the size of the opportunity? Um, for me specifically, I think it's huge. Um, you know, a lot of uh, people look at the WordPress um, kind of plugin marketplace as a whole and they say, wow, it's crowded and, you know, there's so many different players. But um, if, you know, my strategy specifically is to niche down and, you know, taking WooCommerce as an example of niching down, there's so much opportunity there because there's a lot of people, especially these days, going online or wanting to sell products online and the market is only getting bigger. And there's not as many people developing plugins in the WooCommerce space as there is as the kind of the full WordPress uh, uh, space as a whole. So it's kind of as part of a strategy of niching down, WooCommerce is probably one of the better areas to get into. I was just going to add, and, and Bob, I know you've seen this too, but I think the other part of it is that there's this inherent value alignment. Like people doing things in Woo are also like making money. So there's a, a general appetite to spend, right? Because there's a clear association with value. Which, whereas with WordPress, you know, the range of interests can be a lot broader. Certainly, a lot of businesses, also a lot of individuals. When you get inside of Woo, there's usually a pretty clear correlation to we're trying to make money. In which case, we're happy to also spend money to help us do that better. This episode is brought to you by Recapture Abandoned Cart Recovery and Email Marketing for WooCommerce. Anyone who runs a Woo shop knows how frustrating abandoned carts are. And getting them back with ReCapture is easy and setup takes less than five minutes. With their ready-to-use emails, you can take them out of the box and start working for you right away. You'll save time having to start from scratch. Abandoned cart emails are managed for you automatically as the email service runs outside of your store, ensuring the best delivery to your customers. Their easy-to-read analytics reports will help you to monitor your cart recovery. 
And what's really cool is that you can watch what is happening live on your store with ReCapture's live cart feed. The plugin is highly optimized so you don't have to worry about it slowing down your site. And their guarantee of email delivery, traffic increase loads, and support make it a valuable investment compared to all those free plugins out there. From what I hear, if you sign up, you'll be joining thousands of merchants who have already recovered over $115 million. Make sure and check them out, and as a listener, get 60 days free with ReCapture. Just go to recapture.io forward slash do the woo dash special. And now back to our conversation. One of the things I wanted to ask is you've created plugins yourself as a developer. You've also bought plugins. And I know during just the last several months, I've had several people come to me and say, Bob, you know, if you see a WooCommerce plugin for sale out there, can you let me know? A lot of people are in the market. One of them being a established plugin developer already, another being an agency that has, hasn't done any plugins. Mm-hmm. So with that said, what benefits or what advice would you give somebody should they, when they start pursuing the market of buying a plugin, should, are they better placed as far as their skills and everything else if they've done plugin development themselves? Or is it, is it a natural for an agency that's never done a plugin to do buy one first? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, from my um, specific points of view, um, I, I believe that, and it comes down to this argument, uh, which is kind of related to your points. Like, do you want to build a plugin or do you want to buy a plugin? Um, I think they both have merits. Um, from, to answer your question directly, I would say that you would need to have development experience or you would need to, at least if you're an agency, have a good team of developers on board. Because you don't want to build a plugin and release a plugin or buy a plugin and have to maintain it and not know what you're doing or you know run into bugs or have to fix bugs, have customer support questions come in and not know how to fix them. So this is definitely not a kind of industry where you would want to where you can buy a plugin, uh, sit on it and kind of maybe flip it in a few months' time or a year or two's time to make a profit. You need to actively be involved with the development. And as WordPress changes, as WooCommerce changes, you know, there's new versions of the plugins, plugins uh, of WordPress core coming out and of the WooCommerce plugin coming out. You need to be able to support those changes and add features to your plugin. So you definitely either want to know how to uh, develop uh, plugins yourself or at least have a good team who's able to do that. And from my point of view, like when I think about that, because I think you're absolutely right. When I look at it from the business perspective, though, I think the opportunity for someone looking to invest in the space, right? Because I, I, I personally want to see more investment in the space broadly. It's like if you're clear on who the audience is and within, let's just take merchants for a moment. But within that, there are a lot of sub audiences as well, small, medium, large industries, et cetera. And you're clear on what their problem to solve is like. A lot of times, we'll, and I'm sure you've seen this, Matt, and I don't know if you've seen this, Bob, people will like build it and hope they'll come, which sometimes works because of just like how much things are growing. But if you focus on the audience and the problem, there is WordPress and WooCommerce development talent available, right? 
like you could you could find people to help with that side of things. So agreeing with everything you've said, like you need to have that capability, whether to build or to buy. But from my point of view, where a lot of the opportunity tends to be missed and where and thus where there is opportunity for new people coming in is just that simple audience problem solution focus versus just building a plugin and you know, sometimes it's like I see plugins work and it's like it wasn't because they they just kind of were in the right place at the right time. It wasn't because they had a good or a sort of intentional market fit. And I think that to me suggests there's a lot of opportunity for folks who want to invest in the space to say, let's choose an audience, find a problem and build something for that or acquire something that's close but hasn't really done a good job of marketing to it yet. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, in another way, it also comes down to what kind of plugin you're looking to buy. I mean, if you're looking to buy, if you're looking as an individual um, to buy a plugin that just give, you know, earns you an extra $500,000 a month, um, you are going to have a, 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 you're going to be in the market for a different type of plugin to an agency that's potentially looking for something bigger to buy that has hundreds of thousands of users and that wants to be able to you know have have the plugin support their team of development right and and sometimes or like for an agency they might see it as a lead opportunity right where they want that they make their money on custom yeah. development so getting the model right also makes sense where um, you might not want to have it premium you might want to support it and then hope that leads to like or set it up to lead to custom work as well. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I'm just generally curious about, and I think would be great to hear your, your thoughts on, is that if someone like my my position is that it's useful to think about building something to sell, even if you never sell it, because the work that you do to make something attractive is often also work that's good for the business. So given your experience, both building and selling plugins and buying them. Are there any clear lessons that stand out to you for those out there who have their own plugins or building them? Like, what are some of the things that you can do to make your plugin attractive for an eventual acquisition uh, or, or whether you do it or not? Like, what are some of the things that that authors should be thinking about? Yeah, I think that's that's always a good thing to keep in mind when you build in a plugin. Um, and I think you know, in terms of actual real world advice, it's things like when you build a plugin um, and it's got its own domain, have a separate Gmail account uh, for the plugin. Have systems in place for handling support. Um, have separate accounts for the software that you use for that plugin because you never know if you are going to sell it. And I can give you a concrete example of something that happened with the most recent plugin that I purchased. Um, so a lot of plugins, um, that you would look to purchase if you were in the market for buying a plugin, um, uh, kind of monetize themselves using yearly subscriptions mm -hmm. and plugins would usually use, um, either PayPal or Stripe to be able to transact, uh, collect money. Um, so, um, with PayPal, um, specifically with these yearly subscriptions, it's almost, it's actually impossible to be able to um, transfer that subscription from one account to another. So when you go and you, and you buy the plugin from the person who's selling it, there's no way that you're going to be able to transfer that recurring revenue from the seller to yourself. Um, wow. And yeah, so a good idea is that you would, you know, if you build in a plugin and you, you know, build in it to sell, even though you may, you may not sell it, is to set up, set up a separate PayPal account just for the business. And the same goes for Stripe. Stripe is um, a lot more accommodating than PayPal in terms of 
um, kind of transferring subscriptions, but they don't, for instance, allow cross-border uh, uh subscription transfers where if you've got a us stripe account and somebody else maybe the seller is selling it from uh was processing transactions using an australian account they won't let you transfer the subscriptions from the australian accounts to the us account so yeah you definitely want to kind of set up separate accounts set up you know you don't want to process multiple different plugins through a single stripe account create multiple different stripe accounts for each of your plugins um, yeah, that would be my advice. So essentially, it's you can transfer that business account, that business PayPal account. Mm-hmm. Making so it's making sure that the accounts that you set up are are nice and clean and dedicated to the business versus the temptation to sometimes just like mix all the streams together. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy when you build in plugins to kind of take the quick path and just to have everything through a single Gmail account or to not have two separate processing accounts. But those are the kind of things that come and bite you in the butt, you know, later down the line. I think a follow up, a similar question to that is if you're, let's say, someone like yourself or others like who are looking to acquire potential plugins, like what are some of the things that that you look for that makes it attractive? So you just mentioned one, which is that it has like separate accounts. What are other things that 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 you suggest are attractive attributes of of a plugin? I mean, from a WooCommerce and let's also say WordPress perspective specifically, what I'm looking for when I go and I look to buy a plugin is I'm looking for um, plugins that have a free version in the WordPress.org repository and there is a paid upgrade to them. And I'm looking at the number of active users. So I'm generally looking for 1,000 or more active users. But then when I start digging into the premium plugin, I like to see plugins where the active free users to premium users ratio is quite small. So I want very few premium subscribers and lots of free subscribers because that means they're doing a bad job (laughs) of converting the free users to a premium (laughs) premium account and there's an opportunity there to be able to convert those um, free users into uh, premium users. There's an interesting tension there because uh, mm-hmm. so if, if someone does a better job, then that's better like getting that monetization then that makes the company more valuable potentially less attractive to someone like yourself because the value goes up, but it also means that they're just creating a better experience overall. So Sure, but but for me specifically, I'm really looking for plugins that are under-optimized. So I'm looking for plugins with a, with a terrible website, with no email marketing, <laughs> with a bad pricing strategy. You know, they, they're charging way too little for the plugin. But I'm also, you know, on the flip side of that, looking for consistent revenue. And this is kind of year-on-year revenue. I'm not looking at month-on-month because month-on-month has ups and downs. And especially during holiday seasons, um, sales are always down. I'm looking for revenue that if I compare this year to last year, there's growth. It doesn't have to be huge growth, but I know that you know the, the plugin is continuing to grow. It's not in a downward spiral. There, there's an interesting idea there then too. It's like for people who have plugins, then uh, it's like there's the things that you can do to make it because I, I don't think it, you wouldn't argue that, uh, okay, to make yourself attractive to sale, what you should do is have a terrible website and these things, right? Because, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but what, 
if if you do those things, then you're probably going to be happier just with the whole deal, whether you sell it or not, right? Like if you have a if you create a better website, if you create a better sort of upgrade experience. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a specific type of buyer, so I I, I I I'm looking to kind of turn things around. But there very much are buyers that are not looking for that. They're looking for something that's that's well rounded, polished, and something that they can just integrate nicely into their own business. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a good point. That that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's like the uh, it's like a what, what, like a real estate. They the people who are doing like a flipping project where they're kind of going in and working on something versus just buying it and holding it and, and incorporating it in. Yeah, interesting. Uh, absolutely. One of the things I, I was just going to ask in that same line is, and this is more of a personal curiosity for me, is how what is the standard or is there an average time length when somebody uses a free plugin and up to, you know upgrades to the premium or does that depend on the plugin and is it, does that play into when you're looking at it or is that a is that does that even matter as long as the number says it's eventually going to happen yeah i don't um look at that specifically and maybe others do but from my perspective i just want to know that free users are converting to premium accounts. Um, revenue is kind of the most important thing that you use to value the plugin. Um, so I want to see that there's um, decent revenue and steady revenue. Um, I don't, you know, in terms of like digging down to stats like that, how long does it take? That's that for me is all part of the optimization process. So I want to obviously that period of time between a free user and a premium um, user to be as short as possible. Um, and I would look at that as part of the the actual optimization and turn the kind of turnaround strategy of the plugin. Um, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't affect my evaluation on the plugin or whether I would want to buy the plugin or not. So let's talk about that for a moment. Like how, how do you think about valuation? I think that's a generally interesting thing to talk about in like the WooCommerce WordPress space. How do you decide what the value is of something? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of different ways and different people do different uh, methods of valuation. I, you know, in general, you kind of looking at one to four times annual net profit um, of the business. Personally, I look to um, have a two times annual net profit valuation. So I'll take the net profit of the last two years of business and kind of roughly um, figure figure out the the price that I'm willing to pay uh, based on, on that figure. And, you know, that generally means that after two years of me running the plugin, if I just left things as is, the plugin would pay itself back. But again, my strategy is to go in and immediately optimize thing, things so that payback period actually becomes a lot less than uh, two years. And then, you know, valuations can be fluid. And they, I, I, you know, in a lot of cases, base them on potential. So if I see a plugin that a, a plugin owner is charging too little for the premium version, I know that I can go in and I can double that price immediately. And the seller's being kind of steadfast in his negotiations and he's not willing to kind of go below a, a certain price. I would offer him more because I know that, you know, I can turn things around, but I can also immediately charge more and that payback period will become, you know, less based on the sales that come through at the higher price. I'm curious, like from your sense of things, like how much opportunity is like, how much opportunity do you see in that existing space? Like, do you feel like there's a lot of plugins 
That, and, and you made a good point about the different types, right? Like there are some plugins that are just poorly under optimized. Others are maybe well optimized, but could be good consolidation plays. Like how much opportunity do you feel like there still is in the WooCommerce space or is it feeling crowded? I think in the WooCommerce space specifically, we're, we just, you know, it's just starting. The opportunity is like very fresh and new. Um, in the WordPress space, um, things are a lot more mature. So you would, I mean, I've struggled to find WooCommerce plugins for sale right now because there's not that many, whereas WordPress, you know, there's hundreds of thousands. Um, so um, specifically for the WooCommerce, you you know, that may be a situation where you look to build a plugin instead of buy a plugin, which is what I've done with through WP Geeks. I built a whole bunch of plugins mm-hmm. um, because there's not much out there to buy. And there's a lot of opportunity if you go into some of the WooCommerce community groups and Slack groups and Facebook groups, you'll see there's a lot of users crying out for certain features. And through that, you know, you can come up with an idea and actually build the plugin out instead of buying it. But if you do get lucky and you do find a WooCommerce plugin to buy, you know, I would definitely jump on that opportunity because it really, to me, feels like it's early days still. So that's a good point when you look at the timing difference within, within WordPress, right? Like there's a lot more plugins for WordPress than there are for Woo, but we see that, we see that growing. Like how, how, when you're building plugins, like how do you decide what to build? Like, how do you, because there's so many things that could be done, presumably, right? So in two ways, um, one thing that I did about two years ago, um, I wrote a whole bunch of uh, WooCommerce how-to articles. And in general, a lot of them were snippets um, of code, uh, whereas you could just, you know, kind of paste it into your functions on PHP and it added functionality to WooCommerce. And those eventually started optimizing. Uh, they were optimized and started ranking well in Google. And I started getting a lot of traffic. And I found those ideas just by doing a kind of a Stack Overflow search. And as user, as I started getting visitors to these posts, um, I used the ones that became the most popular, that had the most hits from Google. And I built out a plugin um, using that specific um, snippet. So I built a plugin and I created a premium version of it. And I think the first one that I released with, it was less than a week and I made my first sale. So that was a nice way to kind of validate the idea before you actually go and build it. Um, but then more recently, I've been um, uh, using the Facebook WooCommerce community to throw out an idea mm. and to gauge the interest to see are people interested in this idea? Is it something that they would use uh, on their own WooCommerce store? And I've got extremely valuable feedback in doing that. Yeah, I just just a note on that. That's something that I've really appreciated seeing. I've seen more plugin authors do that, which I encourage because I think it's a great way to find out because I, I think the more merchants get their problems solved, and again, because there's a general appetite and a willingness to pay for solutions because there's a clear correlation to revenue, the better it is for the community as a whole. So I, I've, I've, I've seen more of that happening in our community spaces, and I think it's great. Uh one one idea that maybe you've come across, maybe you haven't. I'm sure you probably have. We also have the the WooCommerce Ideas Board, which mm, is that. an interesting. There's quite a few things that come up there where uh, you know it's basically a long list of things that many of us and those on like the WooCommerce like core team is like, yeah, we'd like to get that to, to get to that eventually, but who knows when. So there's a, there's a bit, there can be a bit of a goldmine there too. This episode is brought to you by Sizzle and their Buy Now Pay Later plugin for WooCommerce. If you've been looking to offer your customers installment payments, 
Well, I suggest you look no further. Mizzle allows online shoppers to split their purchases into interest-free installments, which increases conversions and average order values by an average of 20%. It's also pretty cool because at the same time, it empowers shoppers financially and it helps them to grow their credit. And of course, you're giving an option to your shoppers and your customers that isn't available on every WooCommerce shop. Bezel pays a merchant in full at checkout, and it also assumes a risk of fraud and chargebacks. I have seen for myself that it's been rated as the best buy now, pay later solution out there. It has more than 14,000 merchants and well over 1.4 million shoppers. It's available in the U.S. and Canada and just recently entered the marketplace in India. They're also looking to expand into other markets by the end of this year. The plugin is pretty slick and it's easy to install. It will take just a few minutes of your time and you're on your way. So I would suggest you check out Sizzle. Just go to get.sizzle.com forward slash do the woo that is sizzle s-e-c-z-l-e go there and you'll get a 30-day free trial as a listener to the podcast so let's head on back to the show this this question i just got to ask about buying a plugin because that part of it fascinates me is one of the first questions you ask or is this something that is uh expressed before you even approach a person is why in the heck are you selling this plugin? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's generally, I mean, if you look at the various marketplaces uh, where you can go to buy plugins, because that's another way to find plugins to buy is to go to marketplaces. Generally, that's the first kind of in the top first line of the description of the plugin business for sale where they explain why they, they are selling it. Um, I always ask it. And a lot of the time you'll find it's because the person who built the plugin is either burnt out or they're just sick of supporting plugins. Um, they've got other opportunities. You know, a lot of times they plugin developers uh, go into full-time jobs mm. and they no longer want to kind of run a side hustle alongside their full-time job. Um, so they want to get rid of it. So yeah, that's definitely something that's asked. And it forms, you know, a big part of the due diligence pr process to make sure that you validate that what they're saying is correct. Yeah, I was going to say sometimes it, you, there might be a point where you're kind of looking at or maybe when you're asking them rather than even being set on the market in the marketplace is like, hmm, I wonder if that really is the reason. I mean, I, you know, it's almost yeah. <laughs> get the feel of the person and hope you're you're catching any nuances. <laughs> Yeah, I've found that like a big part of um, me being able to trust sellers is kind of built upon the communication that we have. Um, and you very quickly get a hunch if something doesn't feel right. Um, and especially if you look at a lot of deals, and I look at quite a few, um, you know, if something's off or, you know, especially on the marketplaces, um, a lot of sellers go onto those marketplaces like flipper.com and they just fake the, f the figures. They flat out, you know, give incorrect revenue numbers. So, you know, as part of your due diligence, you want to make sure that you check in revenue, you're going into, you're getting a user account for the Woo dashboard, or if they use an easy, easy digital downloads, you've got access to that. Maybe they'll give you a Stripe walkthrough um, over a Zoom call um, you want to make sure that you validate uh, everything uh, as part of the deal uh, that it kind of checks out in that realm of of um, 
of discussion. Like any, are there any other gotchas that stand out to you? Like if you're looking at a business and you're wanting to, to buy any of the lessons that you've learned, any advice that you'd give to others looking at buying that, that you should be keeping in mind? Yeah. Um, so specifically, um, the one, the, the biggest gotcha that, that, um, has kind of nailed me in the past is the one that I mentioned earlier, earlier around the subscription revenue. You value in this business based on a yearly subscription. And if you're not going to be able to get those subscriptions transferred to you, you're not going to get that revenue in a year from now. So you need to make sure that you've got a strategy in place to be able to transfer that revenue what i've done on my most recent deal was i've said to the seller that um, i'd like him to be able to continue the subscriptions for six months Um, so he's going to kind of take payment for the next six months and he'll send that money to me every month obviously because i've bought the plugin and i'm supporting it and maintaining it and within those six months it gives me a six month buffer to be able to ask people to move from his account to my account um and you know that that's that's kind of the way that I've gone about it. But that that's that's been the biggest thing. <laughs> like specifically for the, a plug-in business, watch out for yearly subscription revenue and figuring out a strategy to be able to transfer that. So, given your experience, sort of buying, selling in the space, and the general optimism that you're expressing for the opportunities, are there any reasons why someone wouldn't want to buy a plug-in business? Like, what are some of the what are the downsides? There's got to be downsides. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is there are there are downsides. It's downsides. It's not you know just one rosy picture of you buy a plugin and you earn passive income. There's a lot of work involved. So specifically, you need to be able to support your plugin, and you're going to get questions from users, and you're going to need to answer those questions and answer them in a timely fashion. And the support burden, you know, depending on the plugin and the amount of users can be quite big. So it's something that you need to be prepared for. But then, of course, there's the the whole thing on burnout. And I've, I've struggled a lot with burnout in the past. And you've got to be very careful that you don't take on too much. And if you're working a full-time job and you're trying to run a hustle, and I've got a young family with three kids and a wife, obviously, and um, you know that 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 all that uh, in itself keeps me very busy. Um, I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky in that I've got a flexible work arrangement, yeah. um, so that I can kind of balance my my kind of agency commitments uh, versus being able to run this business on the side. And I'm actually currently on a three month sabbatical from agency work, where I'm just um, focusing on my uh, plug in business. So. You need to be cognizant of um, burnout and make sure that you're not taking on too much and that you can handle it. If you've got a young family, you know, you need to give them the care and attention that they deserve. I'm curious about the support side of things. You mentioned that uh, if I'm if I'm guessing correctly, support's probably like I'm thinking just think about open source plugin businesses and how all that works. Mm. Support seems like it's probably the biggest expense. Is Is that true in your experience? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. How do you think about managing support? Because there's an interesting tension there. Like if you're going to build for the long term, you've got to take good care of your customers. At the same time, that's also your biggest expense. Like how how do you how have you thought about approaching approaching support to prevent burnout, to make sure it's profitable, but yet also to take care of customers? Yeah. And and the thing about premium plugins is the minute somebody hands over money for your plugin, they expect the world from you. <laughs> so it, it is a heavy burden to, to bear. 
And from for me specifically, I'm still dealing with plugins that are quite small. So like between one and 10,000 users. So I, the support burden on that is not huge. Um, the, the best thing that you can do to lessen the support burden is to um, have a good product, you know, that doesn't have so many bugs. So that, that would be my first suggestion is to make sure that your plugin is solid, write unit tests and do all the work. You heard it here. <laughs> yeah. All the work that, that's, um, you know, not, not always nice to do while you're developing unit tests and make sure you're following code standards, make sure your plugins are secure. Um, do that upfront. Uh, and specifically when you're buying a plugin, make sure you check, check for that. Make sure that the code is good and you're not going to run into issues with it and there's not going to be security issues. Run it through PHPCS or WPCS. Make sure the code standards are up to scratch. There's no security holes. Um, you know, Long term, I'd like to get to the point where I've got enough plugins, earning enough income to be able to hire a support, a dedicated support team. But I'm definitely not there uh, yet. Cool. Any, any, this is, I find this all really interesting. And again, from my perspective, what I'm hoping to 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 see is more plugin authors creating plugins in the space, more investment in the space. Under like WooCommerce is growing, the the community, the ecosystem is growing, and you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity to help merchants just have better experiences. Any any last you know, pieces of advice or guidance for, I guess, plugin authors generally in this space, acquisition or not aside? Um, I would say that um, if you're interested in buying a plugin, do your due diligence. Uh, make sure that you check out um, the code of the plugin specifically, um, like I, I mentioned previously. Um, make sure you are you know are fully committed to it when you do buy it you don't don't buy a plugin and then give up on it after a month of <laughs> owning it um this is yeah something you, you really got to go into this for the long term uh, and you know make sure that um it's a commitment that you're willing to take on for the customers in particular too because you have people who are using that and uh it's sad we see this in wordpress like just abandoned plugins right where <laughs> people are relying yeah. on it and there's just no one there and there's a new release on wordpress and it's broken something and there's nobody to go in and fix that yeah this is a long-term term thing there's people relying on your plugins you're adding value to their businesses and you know you should take that responsibility seriously well jonathan i think that i have to thank you for inviting matt a lot of great insights and valuable information he brought to the show, and I'm sure I'll be having him back. Where can people connect with you, Matt? Where can they pick your brain? I guess I shouldn't say pick your brain, but I'm sure they'll have questions around uh, how to buy a plugin or you know how to develop a plugin. Uh, where's the best place to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. And they're more than willing to pick my brain. They can find me at uh, Matt Jerry, M-A-T-T-G-E-R-I um, on Twitter or mattjerry.com is my website where I share. I'm actually sharing my journey of building this uh, WooCommerce and WordPress plugin business. Yeah, they, your listeners are more than welcome to reach out to me if they've got any questions about buying a business. I'd be more than willing to uh, give them some advice. Excellent. Very generous of you. Well, as we wrap it up, I'd like to thank our sponsors once again, Recapture.io, Abandonment Cart and Email Solution. You want to make sure and keep track of those abandoned carts and what your customers are leaving there. 
Sezzle.com, a great way to allow shoppers to split their purchases into interest-free installments. And of course, that's going to add extra conversions to your sales. And of course, WooCommerce.com. If anybody does Woo, it's WooCommerce.com. It's <laughs> really pretty much nailed it. So, And you can subscribe to the podcast. Keep an eye out for all the stuff happening with the friends that do the Woo and the news coming. Lots of good stuff on the horizon. Again, Matt, thank you so much for coming to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>